beaming from Pacific Junction Hotel to Earth. Okay, Emily, thank you so much for uh, coming to FITC and hanging out and spending a few minutes with me to talk about your career. You have a very long career, so I want to get into it. There's a lot of cool stuff. I want to start off with maybe a hard question off the bat. Uh Uh-oh. I know, uh uh-oh. You are a Saturday Night Live uh, nerd, Saturday Night Live fan. So do you have any preferences in terms of uh, either the cast members or characters or sketches that are some of your favorite? you got almost 40 years of uh, stuff to choose from. I, 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 uh, whoo. I know, it's a hard one right off That's the bat. It's a really hard question because I started watching Saturday Night Live when I was, you know, a kid when it first aired. And I think I've seen every episode ever. We didn't start working on it till about 20 years ago, but... I was a huge fan beforehand. Um, well, my favorite skit of all time probably is a filmed piece directed by Jim Signorelli that is celebrities lost lost auditions for Star Wars. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the first time I ever saw that, I just, I laughed forever, and I still have a really soft spot in my heart for that one. There's a lot of absurdity in that one. Like. Yes, so, um, and I also am a huge fan of some of the commercials we've worked on: Crystal Gravy, Cookie Dough Sport, and I. Uh, l- cookie Dough Sport was gross. No offense. No, it's <laughs> yeah, I, it's I gross know. on purpose. <laughs> yes, I know. Um, like, and by the end, when Will Ferrell's just rubbing it oh, all over, yes, I'm, like, I'm like, okay, we're done here. And then cast member wise, oh God, you know, of course, there's the original cast. And then Bill Murray, and who was not in the original cast but started in year two. I love, love, love right now. I love Kate McKinnon. I think she is crushing it on mm-hmm. in every episode, every character. She's so wonderful. You perk up when she shows up in the scene, right, or in the sketch. And she really commits to the bit. Like yeah. she really, she's she's fully present in it. She's just so wonderful. So right at this moment. Okay. She's my fave. See, that was a hard question right off the bat. I bring up Saturday Night Live because you've worked on the, the opening credits for it. And what has Saturday Night Live taught you about time? Because that's the whole theme of that show, right? Like, you got to go on at 11.30 no matter what. Lauren Michaels' classic line, yes. right? Yes. We don't go on because we're ready. We go on because it's 11.30. Mm-hmm. He said that, and I think it's just amazing. And I think that that's what, what makes Saturday Night Live sort of still work after all these years. The funny thing is they sort of <laughs> they sort of work the same way with the opening titles. Like we're always working on it right up until the end of, you know, right up until the show airs the first time for the season premiere. And then sometimes even I show in my talk tomorrow, sometimes we change things even after the show has aired the first time, so we're still like tweaking and perfecting things. So time and time is crazy at SNL like the show is made start to finish in a week and during that week things are happening at 11 o'clock at night I've had meetings in Lauren Michaels office at one o'clock in the morning to show him work and I'm not the only person there to show him things he's that busy and there are like 20 people milling around waiting to show him work Um, it's like Vegas is how I always describe it no clocks no clocks no windows it's just so it it teaches you to like try to get things done as quickly as possible and they're used to it the cast and the crew are used to things moving at a very fast pace so if we get three weeks to work on the open that's like a leisurely pace for them and you know 
that's kind of what's amazing about the show. We also worked on the book, the 40th anniversary book. And the cool thing about the book is the book is divided up not chronologically by year, but chronologically by day. You're talking like Monday, Tuesday. Yeah, so because everything, the way Saturday Night Live is built has been the same since it started. So everything that happens on a Monday always happens on a Monday. You know, ideas are pitched. And then read-throughs happen. And then dress rehearsal happens. And then the show airs. So you can mix all the years together. Because anything that happens on a Tuesday, whether it's from 1997 or 2005 or 2018, still happens on a Tuesday. So it's, it's kind of it's kind of cool the way it works. I like how they kind of reset too on the uh, the Sunday, like the uh, Sunday is the day. Sunday is the day of rest. So whether the episode has went well or there were some good sketches or there was some controversy, like doesn't matter what it is. Clean slate. It's clean slate, and then you get to just reset, breathe again, and get back up on Monday and do it all over again. Mm-hmm. Kind of glad we only have to do that once a year. Yes, no. once every three years. I want to pick up on that theme of like once every three years. Like, uh, what is the impetus time to change the opening credits for like a show like that? What is the what is the spark or what is the reason? Well, it depends on. Sometimes, if there is a, a if there's a lot of change in the cast, they want to do a new one because what we do when there's a little bit of change is we'll you know the the person from the show who's in charge of the film unit will shoot new footage of the new cast member and then we edit it in and do new type for it. But sometimes it's mostly what sort of what Lorne feels, like what he thinks is right, and he's been pretty accurate. You know, they start to feel a little bit old after time. This will be the four. This is the fourth year for this current title sequence, which I am very fond of. But I have a feeling four is the longest time. And then sometimes it's something like the 40th anniversary, which was the reason that we changed the titles four years ago. Um, sometimes it's just because. They've been black and white for too long, and now color feels like the right thing. It's, it's, um, it varies. But I think like, you know, three to four years and Lauren's desire to both switch up the cast a little and the feeling. Your body of work is kind of similar in, to Saturday Night Live in the sense that you have a large body of work. And I asked you at the beginning about like your favorite sketch. Can you... Can you separate any of your work from the past or are you just always like Lauren Michaels and just looking forward to 1130 and what's the new thing and what the next project is? Oh, I don't know. I think I'm a little bit of both. Like I'm very sentimental. So I, I like a lot of the projects of the past and I like to talk about them and I like to think about them. Like I loved the work I did and my time at Emin Company with Tibor and Myra. That was you know, amazing, and I still think about it a lot, and I'm still proud of it. And I still talk about Emin Company and use the word we, mm -hmm. which is funny because I haven't been there in a long time. And then I think about number 17, and I'm really proud of that work, and I still think about it, and I still, you know, loved collaborating with Bonnie. And when I talk about number 17, I still say we. And now at Pentagram, I get to say we again, like, we. Um, <laughs> you've been smiling the whole time, too, as you've been kind of <laughs> talking about the old school. Um, but I also like looking, looking forward. I like thinking about what's next. Mm -hmm. so that's really, it's really good. And I like when things end and something new begins. Although sometimes it takes forever for something to end. Like you keep sort of new little things pop up and you keep working on them. Yeah, bad ideas have a habit of sticking around too for a while. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's true. Um, so I guess I'm I'm a little bit of 
both. I'm also a worrier and a tinkerer, so I I worry about things even after they're done. Like, was that right? Did I make the right decision? Was that color too, you know, all of that stuff is sort of in my constant mm-hmm. ruminating about work. I want to pick up on um, this, um, the theme of like the opening credits, like because you've done like The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, Queen Latifah, Saturday Night Live. This is a, it might be a dumb question, but what is the purpose of the opening credits? Like, how did you view or how did you approach the opening credits? Because sometimes the audience just kind of glosses over that or they don't really kind of pay attention to that. You know what I mean? They're coming to see whoever the guest is on Saturday Live or whoever Fallon has. I, I just, I need to, for the record, we did not do the titles for The Tonight Show. Um, we did the logo for The Tonight Show and talked to them about the titles, but we were going to do the titles, but then at the last minute, they called me and said, Spike Lee has offered to do our opening titles, and we're going to go with Spike. That's, uh, and I was like, yeah, I would too. Okay. <laughs> you really should. Once, if Spike Lee says he's going to direct your opening titles, go for it. You should do that, um, which I also love. Like I love, like I care, I care enough about my clients or some of them. And Jimmy Fallon is a wonderful client. Uh, you know, he's smart and intuitive and he loves design. And so I care enough about them that doing the right thing, <laughs> didn't mean to make that joke, but no, there, there it go. is. Well played. Is, is important. So I was, it wasn't an ego thing with me about the Tonight Show titles. It was a, oh, that's the right thing for you to do. The, the best work wins is kind of like your mentality. I believe that sometimes, you know, the best work, sometimes I see work for jobs we didn't get and I'm like, oh, that's not as good as what we would have done. But- that happens too. Yeah. I don't want to say that I'm completely without ego or bitterness because I have that. Yes. But with stuff like that, um, it's fine. Anyway, the job of the opening sequence is to cleanse your palate and sort of set you up for whatever you're about to see, to sort of prepare you, get your head focused, and get you into the content of the story. And hopefully it, it helps tell the story a little bit. Like with Saturday Night Live, it's just to get you in this sort of nighttime, late night, jazzy New York feeling. And, of course, introduce the cast. But it's really about, like, getting you feeling excited about the evening. And the same with uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. It was about sort of showing you this sort of exuberance and the joy of the story, despite the crazy circumstances that this story has as its backstory. Yeah, there's a lot of pop and a lot of color, right? Mm -hmm. So. You mentioned working with Tibor. Associated with him is this idea of being fearless and kind of being a visionary. Was it intimidating ever working with someone like that? Just because knowing that you're going to go down these roads or like did the fear ever set in or you're like, all right, let's do this. Let's go down this road and then kind of see where this goes. I I would say, again, uh, a cop-out answer, both. At M & Company, I was always always afraid of being fired, but I was never in jeopardy of being fired because I loved my job and I loved M and Company and I worked really hard. Tibor was one of the smartest, funniest, fastest people I've ever, I've ever known. He was great at finding the little idea in something and turning it into a big idea. He was great at being, what's the right, what's the word I want to use? A contrarian. He was a great contrarian, and he knew when that worked well. He was always interested in the idea first and making a statement, not necessarily what the client wanted, 
and normally, usually that worked out well for us at M & Company. Sometimes it didn't, but it was always, it was always exciting. He was a volatile person, not volatile like physically volatile, but he, you know, he was, he was uh, intense. Yeah, it sometimes it's that kind of cliche a little bit with creativity, where sometimes it's not always like. Um, yeah, there's like a lot of energy with it, with that creativity, that whirlwind kind of mentality, right? Yes. And so that's sometimes uh, it's parcel. I don't know why that cliche is there for creativity, but it's there. It's probably because it's not a cliche. I, I I learned so much from him, including you know the idea that you're always working, like you're always looking for the idea, even when you're not at work. It's always it's always percolating in the back of your mind. And also he had Myra, and she was his other, I would say, secret weapon. She was... That's a good term for her, yeah. Yeah, she was smart and funny, and she could she could take Tibor out of whatever head he was in and bring him into another, another way of thinking if something needed to be done. And, of course, she was delightful in starting out her illustration career, and, I mean, what she has become in terms of sort of being a national living treasure <laughs> is really incredible. But she was always that. It's just now she's, now more people know it. And how did you work then in terms of your partnership uh, with Bonnie when you went to do... Uh, number 17. Number 17. Uh, how did like that partnership work? Because now you are out on your own. Like you said, you've learned all these things for MM Company and you're fearless and you're bold and you're going to step out now and you're going to do all these things. How did that partnership kind of start to form and start to work? Bonnie and I met at a small design studio that we were both working at right before I started working at M & Company, and we became best friends instantly, like literally at hello. Like, hi, hi, want to come over to my house? And we always knew that we wanted to start a company together, but we also both knew that we needed to sort of do different things learn. It's like meeting the person that you want to marry and then deciding to date around a little bit first. But I went and worked at M and & Company and she went at work and worked at VH1. But the whole time, like work was something that we were both really passionate about. We loved our jobs and we talked about work all the time. And then when the time was right, we started number 17. And our partnership, I would say, was pretty intense. Like we did so much together like we and we were you know we were the design equivalent of finishing each other's sentences I would say like we agreed on most things and it was it was fun to like have a company with your best friend and I think that we spent a lot of time again thinking about the ideas and thinking about things that made us laugh and thinking about you know different ways of telling the story that was more about what the thought was behind it necessarily than what it looked like. You talk a lot about this kind of like intensity and this hustle. Is this kind of influenced a little bit by New York City as well? <laughs> for sure. I mean, I would say for me, for New York City is like a eh, intense place to, to be. It's like there's a lot of energy and activity and hustle and bustle and yeah, because even sure. like the hot even the hot dog guy wants to get up and sell so many hot dogs. Like everybody's kind of like working and like, everybody's got an angle. Yeah, New York City. So you leave, you eventually leave your uh, your partnership with Bonnie, and then you end up at Pentagram, which is pretty cool. For people that don't know, just who's the the? It's the Justice League lineup of like graphic design. <laughs> That's very nice of you to say. But 
yeah, I get to go to work every day and be able to call people like Paula Scher and Michael Beirut, my partners. But everyone, all the partners at Pentagram in New York, Natasha Jen and Eddie Opara and Michael Garricky and Luke Heyman and Abbott Miller, they're all amazing designers whose work I always admired. And it, it makes you up your game. And it's funny, I actually always describe Pentagram like the cast of Saturday Night Live because the people who were the original five members of Pentagram mm -hmm. are not partners anymore, but the zeitgeist of what Pentagram is and how it works and the passion for what we all do here in London and in Austin and Berlin is still the same as, as 45 years ago. Have you learned a lot about culture and how those small organizations like Saturday Night Live or The Tonight Show or, or any of the other shows that you worked on, like, are you able to translate that back to Pentagram or does Pentagram influence you in terms of culture? I'm not sure I understand. These, all these organizations, they have a culture and they have a flow and they work different ways mm -hmm. and they, work, they have a shorthand when they work with each other and things like that. When you take something like Pentagram, are you just kind of this open to the culture that they have there and then you kind of accept that? Or do you just bring some of the culture and some of the lessons that you've learned from like working at these other organizations and inject some of that into that? God, I'm, I am like the little bit of both, uh, the little bit of both person today. Um, I feel like there is a little bit of both. Like before I joined Pentagram, Pentagram wasn't doing as much work in sort of the, the straight up entertainment industry, not and I feel like that has changed pentagram culture a little bit. But I have also learned so much by being part of how pentagram works. I have learned. And also, it's amazing that if I'm having trouble working on an environmental brand identity, I can literally ask Paula what she thinks. And I get her creativity by osmosis into the project we're working on because she'll do a real and honest crit because we all want the work to be the best work that it can be. So I've learned something from every single one of my partners about how I, I'm kind of like a sponge with the way they work. I try to learn and see what they do and sort of tailor it for each project and then try and get their help. And then I think that my, you know, the silliness of some of the work that we do on my team permeates into their work as well, I hope. Mm -hmm. We don't only do silly things. We also do serious things. I want to stay with the silly for a second because you recently did some stuff with Snoop Dogg and his weed company. <laughs> yep. But that was that that sounds silly, but we were very serious about it. Yeah, and it was it looked great, right? Thank but you. Something like that, for example, like you, you can take that in a number of different directions, right? Because weed has its own sort of cliches. It has its own language, its own shorthand. So how do you decide then when to do something like be a little more serious with that one as opposed to being silly or having fun with it? Because Snoop's personality, too, is very kind of fun and playful. It is, but he also and his team are super smart. And when they came to us, they wanted, they came to Pentagram because they wanted design that didn't look like other cannabis brands, that didn't look like hempy or Rasta-E. They wanted to break that mold. They wanted something that felt more like perfume, like felt more like Chanel or felt more like Beats or whatever that is because they knew that the cannabis market is changing. And they wanted something that 
could be as as appealing to a broader range of people now that it's spreading legally around the country. So that was very intentional on their part. And then they wanted something that still felt fun and funny and a little bit unexpected. And that's because they knew and Snoop knew who he knows, who he is as a brand. And he wanted that to come through too. And I think it was very, I think it was very smart of them to position it that way. And it was great to work on for that reason. You mentioned like working in entertainment. Like you've also polished up the DC logo, DC Comics logo. Polish up? We redesigned the you DC redesigned logo. Redesigned the, yeah. Um, I mean, it's gone through a number of iterations in like the 80 year. When something like that, are you, you're aware of the history of the 80 years and like uh, you kind of factor that in? Uh, in terms of the design and or you just want to start something completely new and go in a different direction oh no 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 we are very aware of the history and and i i often say that history is our superpower understanding history (laughs) superpower we went back and looked at every single dc logo that had every single there were like 12 and tried to take something from all of those logos tried to have the new logo have a little bit of the essence of all of those in them. And it's it was very important to us because comic book fans are, uh, are ferocious, I would say. Not ferocious, but they're very passionate about comics. Mm-hmm. That's why DC's able to last 80 years, right? People keep investing in it and keep investing in Batman and Wonder yes. Woman. And so we wanted to sort of pay homage to that the passion of the fans and we wanted to design a logo that could, my first thought was we should go back to the Milton Glaser logo because it's Milton Glaser it's well and it's also it's like the logo of you know my childhood it's the logo I think of but for a variety of reasons that couldn't happen um, so we tried to again take the essence of what that stood for and look at the letter forms and boil it down to its simplest easiest most identifiable elements. And I, I hope we did. I think they're doing, they are have continued to do a really good job of evolving the way the logo is used in a way that I'm I'm really pleased with. Mm-hmm. They've added little boxes now with the characters on the covers for the issues and things like that. So it adds a lot more flavor to the the cover, which mm-hmm. is obviously what's selling the uh, the books, right? Right. And but you also worked on Justice League as well with them. Is that going to be a continuing like uh, relationship with DC Entertainment, like working on different projects with them? I hope so. They're a great client. They're also like they are smart. The people in the DC brand and the marketing arm of DC are have been very smart and and very conscientious. I would say in terms of how they handle the brand. Um, we just finished doing a redesign of the Vertigo logo. Well, we're not. Yeah, yeah, it was approved. Just approved, like a week ago. Okay. Um, a redesign of the Vertigo logo. I don't know if you're familiar with the Vertigo yeah, logo. Yeah, it's kind of more adulty kind of line, and they kind of go down that dark earth path mm-hmm. sometimes, a little bit of horror. And so, so we had to, it had to change for some reasons. But again, because of my deep respect for the fan base, we didn't change it very much at all. So... There are certain things, you know, it's now going to be in conjunction. Oh, I don't even know if I can talk about that. Um, anyway, we... To be continued. Right. 
We um, like a classic comic book. Exactly. Stay tuned. Yeah. Will the Vertigo logo be completely changed? <laughs> Tune in. There um, you go. Way to sell it. I bring up all these examples because, like, yeah, th- entertainment's kind of been your prime, one of your primary bread and butters, right? Like, you've kind of worked on all these different shows, uh, from Sex and the City, uh, we mentioned Saturday Live, to DC Entertainment. Currently, is that always kind of been your focus, or is just that after a certain point you just kind of fell into that? area and then just kind of kept rolling with it and as people kind of came to you it just kind of made sense to keep rolling i damn it a little bit of both (laughs) (laughs) i'm right down the middle with these answers at least you're owning it though right i love pop culture i love it i um considered being an actress a long time ago this is kind of like my uh smell of the grease paint like my this is this is as close as i'm gonna come to that to that dream, though it's a dream that I I chose to give up. I'm just gonna say, I decided I didn't want to be an actress, but that you know, film and motion graphics and graphic design was really where I needed to be. But I love doing it for entertainment. We do this thing called the Spirit Awards every year, which are kind of the anti Oscars. Mm-hmm. They happen the day before the Oscars on a beach in Santa Monica, and we do that. It's a nonprofit organization called Film Independent that uh, supports them. And we love what Film Independent does. Um, and we're passionate about filmmaking and content. So we love doing that. Um, it's definitely a little bit of both. Oh, pl- a plus, once you start to do something and you do it well. That's what I was asking. If you could just kind of like, after a certain point, people just realize, oh, like, she's a good entertainment like graphic designer. So I never take anything for granted. And nothing is a sure thing. Like... There's always, there's always, always somebody else who wants to do the same thing. So, mm-hmm. you put the to be continued for Vertigo, but do you also like that access as well to kind of see what's coming down the pipe, what new people are working on, and like, because that's part of an exciting part of entertainment as well. Oh my God, I love it. I mean, when we worked on Ready Player One, I loved getting to read the script before mm-hmm. the script. You know, before the film was made, I loved getting the film stills while they were working on it. Like, it's just, I love that inside peek. So something like uh, something like Ready Player One. Obviously, Spielberg is a, is established director, but... You think? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, but at what point in a project like that do they bring you in? Because this has already existed as a book. He's already got a vision for how it's going to look and how they're shooting it. As you said, you're getting you're getting some stills, you're getting some dailies. At what point then do they bring you in to start influencing or to start to design the actual logo and those kind of things? I mean, we were brought in pretty early because they were just starting to shoot the film when we when they asked us to start working on the identity. You know, nowadays marketing is really important in the film world it's mm-hmm. especially in big blockbuster commercial films it's an important part of it we have we work with a man named John Stanford at Warner Brothers and he is a wonderful creative director for us he, he we have done a bunch of you know movie titles with him he also is smart and really interested in the content and in a way that i think is different than most you know i think a lot of times when movies get titles done for them not titles we we don't do titles we do logos but there are a lot of companies who just ask for people to do like logo 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 but we really sit down and think about what the story is for that logo what the 
what the idea is behind it. You had a little maze kind of. Yeah, that was, you know, because the whole thing is the pursuit of an egg. We wanted to put that, hide that in the logo. And it was really fun for us when they released the logo and fans started to find that. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm asking wh at what point you get brought in, because nowadays I've seen that shift where now like a significant tweet or significant marketing push will be like the poster release right and then then maybe a couple of days later it'll be the trailer and then like it's this longer build up now whereas back in the day it used to be like just the random trailers here you go and then that was kind of it now there's like little teaser trailers there's like a whole longer right there's sometimes there's literally a trailer for the logo release yeah for a film which is hilarious there was for justice league and i think for crimes of grindelwald there is literally a trailer to announce that the next day there'd be a trailer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like when you're working on design now, oftentimes clients want to have what they call a pre-meeting, mm -hmm. where they can sort of see what you're working on before the actual presentation. And I'm, I just always think, well, that's the presentation then. It's not the pre-presentation, <laughs> it's the actual presentation, because we're going to show you something for the first time. And it has, there's like, just no, no, just tissue sketches. That's not a thing. <laughs> Um, at least not with us. We like to go in with our ideas pretty formed. Um, other than Vertigo, is there anything on the lookout that we can look for now uh, that you can talk about? Or I mean, Ready Player One's pretty fresh. That's still got the, uh, the new movie smell. It does still have that new movie smell. Um, well, let's see. A lot of stuff that we've been working on did just get released. Crimes of Grindelwald, that's the new Fantastic Beast movie. The Wizarding World Identity just got released. Ready Player One... Uh, gosh, we're really busy, and yet I can't think of anything to say. Look down the um, world. We're working on a new wing magazine, No Man's Land, but that's not exactly what we're talking about. Ooh, I don't know. I can't think of anything. I want to go back to the, one of the points that you made earlier and like um you kind of went down oh, I, th I just thought of something but what? you know what i can't talk about it okay <laughs> you, you, so you're either both or you're like teasing i like that uh so but i want to bring i want to go full circle back to one of your earlier points which was like i asked you like are you always looking forward to like 11 30 or do you can you look back and you mentioned that sometimes you're not always kind of um i guess satisfied with what kind of gets released or you kind of wish you could go back and do it or whatever do you have that kind of reset like Saturday Night Live where you can then just like, okay, I have this new project now. I have Ready Player One or something. i got to just put all that other stuff aside and then kind of have new hope for this new project? Yes. Yes, always. A new project is a new, a new chance, mm -hmm. new opportunity. And sometimes you take things that you've learned, hopefully, if you're smart, you take what you've learned from other projects. But, yeah, it's a new problem to solve. And I'm... I'm pretty excited every time like I'm pretty I'm able to sort of get my enthusiasm up every time it's hard yeah but again we're lucky enough I would say at pentagram um, or on my team to get to do a lot of really exciting and interesting work like we've sort of embarked on this whole new uh this whole new path of doing a kind of activism work. We're working on an initiative for the AIGA to double the amount of women in leadership roles and make sure that women are getting equal pay in the design community. 
We're working at, with a, an organization called the Federation, which is to democratize art and be able to make statements in the face of things like uh, the immigration issues. Um, Trump stuff. As Trump, well. Trump stuff. It's kind of like a moment where we really should, if you have a, if you have something that can help make change. Yeah. Now is the time. Trump will be good for graphic design in a, <laughs> we in a weird sort of way. You want to know what I always what I say about Donald Trump? Mm -hmm. What do you got? The only thing that Trump has actually made great again is Saturday Night Live. Yeah. There you go. So kind of lived up to that promise. And what can people expect now? Because like we covered a number of different projects. So for your talk tomorrow at FITC, uh, what can people expect, or what are they? What are you going to be covering? Or you all have of it? All of it. Well, my talk is kind of my talk is about. Um, it's called. It has three titles because I have trouble making up my mind. But it, the thing that it's mostly about is the idea of. Um, it's called. It's nice to be nice to the nice which is that when you meet someone and you work with them, you never know where they're going to show up next. And so if someone is good to you, you should be good to them, kind of a pay-it-forward thing. And the other thing that it's about is called Because, 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 which is a similar idea, but it sort of talks about how one kind of project led to another kind of project that led to another kind of project that led to another, and it's sort of a narrative mm. over the course of things that I've done. And so everything that we talked about today, with the exception of the Vertigo logo, will be in tomorrow's talk. Okay, that should be very exciting. Thank you for taking some time. And uh, we've covered like from Saturday Night Live right up to uh, Vertigo, which will come out eventually. So we'll have to look forward to that. Thank you, Emily. Okay. No, thank you. It's been a pleasure. This is Sam Yunin from My Summer Lair. You can follow me on the Twitter at MyPalSammy. So thank you.